Hello and welcome back to the Evie Online podcast. This week I spoke to Hala and Sahar from United for Masa, an organisation that has been helping to raise voices in Iran during the ongoing revolution that kicked off after the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini in September at the hands of Iran's morality police. Many women have been burning their hijabs and cutting their hair in order to protest against Iran's brutal regime and the morality police who have been enforcing it. In this podcast, Sahar shares her own personal story about being captured by morality police in Tehran, Iran's capital city. We also discuss violence against women and regime control via state-run media outlets and social media silencing slash internet blackouts. Sahar and Hala speak about the many women that have been raped, beaten and killed at the hands of morality police and the imbalance of rights for women that has reached a fever pitch and has sparked widespread protests across the country as men, women and children have been doing what they can to speak out against the regime under Ibrahim Raisi. Sahar and Hala inform me on how people back in their home country have been using loopholes on social media to share messages of what has been happening on the ground. Many women and girls, as well as men, have been risking their lives in order to protest against the strict regime. In recent weeks, I noticed that protests have been taking place across the world, but there had still not been as much news coverage by media outlets globally. It's not just a women's rights issue, but it's also a human rights issue. Thank you for listening. Um, I would like to start with how United for Masses started. We were a group of six, uh, all friends since uni. After protests, we usually gather. I mean, every time after protests, we usually gather at a cafe and we just talk about what should be the next step, what should we do next week. And so, you know, the format just started from there, that we should have a group properly organized it, have banners and flyers printed out, and eventually have a GoFundMe uh, for, fun, for fundraising. Uh, so purely, like, uh, in, with the intention of, free iran uh we're not affiliated with any anyone any uh parties so it's just young people we are all like around 28 29 living in london i was born in i was born here some people just moved to england so a mixture of people uh from different backgrounds and that's how it started and you hella um yeah so i was born in iran um, and I was raised there till um, till I was 14, 15, and I moved to the UK, um, and I've been living here since. I'm a bit older than everyone else. I'm 36, um, and I live just outside of London. Um, so, but yeah, I do have that first-hand experience of living in Iran um, until I was a teenager. Um, so, um, and I joined, and I asked if there was anything I could do, translations, and that's how I joined United for Massa. Can you tell the audience about the death of 22-year-old Gina Massa Amini and what happened on the 13th of September last month? So, uh, Gina, just like any other girl, was walking on the streets of uh, Tehran when she was captured by the morality police. Um, and um, where when you are captured by them, you'll be taken to another place. Like a, it's literally a warehouse that are hundreds of people, hundreds of girls there waiting to be released. So where she, when she was there, she was beaten up. Uh, so she resisted. She didn't want to go. So she, they, uh, they beat her up and uh, she went into a coma. Um, and then after three days, uh, she passed away. Or we always say they, they killed her. 
And uh, so that's how it happened, and the whole story. Uh, after that, when uh, it was her sort of funeral in her um, hometown, in Kurdistan area, uh, Kurdish area of Iran, um, that's where the whole uprising ignited and people came on the streets. And the Zhanjian Azadi of Woman Life Freedom is a slogan uh, by Kurdish people. And it's, oh, they have always had this. So then it got translated to Farsi, which is Zanz and the Yazadi. And now it's the main sort of, um, how would you say, slogan for this uprising and protests. What and and Perfect. What and who are the morality police in Iran? And what rules do they enforce on women? I have a personal story about this. I was also captured by morality police uh, 2014, eight years ago. Uh, I was in Tehran. So what is it is, it's there are like polices around uh, around the city with vans, just observing girls and see if they are not properly uh, dressed, as in showing strand of hair, showing a bit of arm, like a neck, like a skin, showing skin. So, um, and they have a quota, basically. They need to fill this van up. So if they cannot, they will just take anyone that they think they won't fight back. The girls that are not going to say anything. They're the girls that are more innocent looking, I would say, or like they don't have the um, courage to fight back, I would say. Because I was one of them. I was listening to my music in Banak Square in Tehran. And as I was, uh, my, my airport was on, uh, on, in, uh, earphones. And somebody grabbed my arm and said, Bomambia, come with me. And I immediately found out that this is the police. I, it was my first time, but I've heard lots of stories. Um, anyone, any Iranian uh, who have like a, a, a women, Iranian woman have been affected by this, either their moms or sisters. So they took me. Uh, I was resisting a little, but uh, I was young, I was 20, and I was, I was, I was very scared. They said, they cannot lie. They said, if you don't sign this paper, you go inside the van, sign this paper, we will let you go. I was like, I'm not going to go inside. Please give it to me now. I'll sign it. No, you have to go in. Then they pushed me to the van and they closed the door. All I could hear was somebody else screaming. So um, they opened the van and they pushed another girl in. Only two of us. I was speech. I wasn't saying a word because I didn't know what to say. This girl, she was fighting back and cursing and honestly well done to her she had the she had the, the courage to do that i i couldn't say anything and i was trying to calm her down and she said you know what they're all the same they're monsters don't be quiet you have to fight back anyway so we got there to the place that i said a warehouse exactly the videos that were uh, were released by uh, um, around massa amini you know amini it was exactly where i was so i could totally i could it was i was bringing back so many bad memories um so I was there for about five, six hours. They take your phone and they put a sticker on it, number. So they you, you give your phone before you have to call your parents and ask to ask them to bring you proper clothing. They will ask black sort of um, um, hijab and like a manteau uh, or what you could say it's like a jacket, like a long jacket. Let's say, I don't know how to explain that, but cover, like a better cover. And um, so I did that and gave my phone in waited for hours, they called my name, went to the end of the warehouse, that end of the room, and they had a A3 paper with a marker, Sharpie. They asked for my name, I said that. Where were you born? I said, in Gilis, in Farsi, in Galistan. They couldn't understand. Which city is that? I said, oh no, it's a country. She said, what do you mean? 
I, I, I wasn't born here. She wrote England, then date of birth. It was in Sharpies, like very large. I was like, why do you need such a large font? And they said they, uh, they directed me to another place, like another corner of the room, and there was a woman with a um, camera. So I stood there, she was like, okay, now hold this paper. So they were going to take a mock shot of me as if I was like a criminal. I said, okay, I, 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 could, I just, it didn't say a word. I was still speechless. So she asked me as she was taking my picture, she said, why did they, why did they capture you? Why did they, did they bring you here? I was like, you tell me, you're taking my picture. Why? And she looked at me up and down and she was like, okay, yeah, it's because of your sleeves. They're short. I was like, okay. She took my picture and, and uh, an hour after I had to write a letter, like sort of, I don't know what, what they said in English, but promise that you won't do this again. It's like a confession that I have done this, but it's with, with my last time. And uh, if you ha you do it again like a second time, it would be like a criminal record if you do it again. So after an hour, uh, they released me. I changed my clothes and I left. But honestly, after that, I couldn't leave my I couldn't leave home for two weeks. It was really horrible, like what it had the effect that it had uh, on me. How did you manage to like? I know this seems like such a stupid question, but mentally cope because to me that sounds extremely scary and traumatizing it is uh, honestly it was eight years ago but as i said i didn't leave the house for at least uh, easily 10 days and after that i was more careful of my hijab which that's what they do they scare you so you're not you don't want to be captured again and go for like hours uh, in an unknown place so um yeah it was uh, just like kind of I was depressed I was like scared of going out I was if I felt like I was harassed basically you know the the things they told me along the way to the where to the place um so it's just yeah what things were they what did they say to you on the way like you don't uh, so they were telling me uh you're coming out with this sort of uh, covering and uh, you don't have a family you don't have a mother you don't have a father to to um Basically, you haven't been raised like uh, properly in a decent environment. Things sort of insulting your your upbringings, insulting your parents and everything. So it's really horrible when you hear those things. Um, I just want to add to this. Their, their, um, their responsibility is to enforce Islamic laws onto the people. And it's their version of Islamic laws. They, they're, they're the version they have created. Uh, and the mandatory hijab only came into effect in uh, in 1981. Um, and, and also they do walk around, uh, what I would say, they cause fear um, into people, which is clearly that's what they've done in Sahar's case. Um, for example, I haven't been caught because I was quite terrified and I was, I was very obedient, but that's the nature of how they build you from the moment you go to school to, to the moment you, you are... Um, trying to live a normal life um, and I said but, but I do remember stories loads of stories with my family my auntie and my brother were um, caught together walking on the street stopped and taken to one of these warehouses and asked for my parents to go and, and free them or because they they thought they were they were boyfriend girlfriend rather than auntie <laughs> auntie and and and, and nephew um, and, and in these sort of cases it's just it's not a normal life as we know here in the UK and most, most of the rest of the world. Um, but what I see is that the, the main focus is, is to create fear um, and make people obedient uh, and so they can do whatever they want.
How did the strict regime start in the 1970s? I've seen many people say that the liberal political movement was hijacked and became an Islamic revolution. Can you explain the history better than, than I can? And for my audience oh. and anyone listening, you can go on Google and look at pictures of Iran before 1979. I know the revolution before that kind of things were very different. Um, if, if I may cover this one. So um, I know that for a fact my, fam my parents had gone out for that revolution. They have given me the reasoning. The reasoning was we had the complete opposite of the previous Shah um, forcing people to take off their hijab. And that created a backlash. Again, was oppression in a sense that women couldn't wear what they wanted. So there was a massive uh, women's movement at the time. The revolution happened for various reasons. Some of it was propaganda caused by various parties, which we all know now. Um, but the, the the main point is, is that um, the revolution was hijacked by extremists and by various people. There's a massive history on this, which probably will take us hours to go through. Uh, but essentially, the, the, the revolution was hijacked and he went in a complete different direction to what people went out and got killed. Um, and, and there was a woman's movement when they did bring the mandatory hijab in, in the early 80s. Uh, women went out, but then again, they were actually faced with the same kind of treatment as we, we, we hear. It's been um, ignored, harassed, creates fear in various methods that they use um, to, 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 to ignore us. Um, and I, I think this is a good point to just create um, and, and let you know that Iran clearly is a, is a, is a, is a gender apartheid. Um, we basically, the way they treat girls and boys are completely different. Considering 50% of the population are, are girls and women, um, we're completely treated differently. We have, uh, we go to girls' schools and boys' schools. We go, we go to different beaches, different sports centres. Even at the airport, when we enter in, uh, you enter from different entrances. Uh, we have half of the rights of a man and um, basically minimal rights in divorce um, and 50% uh, less in inheritance. So, um, you know, and that carries through to, to the rest of our life. Um, and that is reflected in what is, start, what is started in revolution. Um, so that, that is part of the, the result of what, how it came through. I know that there obviously have been, as you say, many protests after 1979, which were not as widespread. What seems to have made this the tipping point? I think the ticking point is that we've had many boiling moments um, because Massa was, um, she, she, she was innocent. She, you clearly can tell there was nothing wrong with her, what she was wearing. Um, and this could be, this could have been any of us, just like Sahara said, could have been Sahara, could have been me, could have been any other Iranian or non-Iranian within Iran. Um, I think that was a trigger point. We have gone through um, different uprisings in, in, in multiple times, but also the echo that the West um, influences have given um, has made it feel really different. And, and also we seem we feel really united um, and I'll pass on to Sahara here. Yeah, and I would like to add on to that. Uh, obviously, Massa died because of her hijab, an improper hijab, basically. And that's that was 
and, and it was in Kurdistan and then people in Kurdistan they are they always have they they have always been very you know courageous and fighters of in there is the border of Iran uh, so and that really helps and also I do think women life freedom movement like this uh, slogan or chant is really powerful and any women can relate yeah uh, let's say let's talk about abortion what happened in america let's say they can relate even to women life freedom so this slogan is also it was like it became international it's been translated to any language you can think of so uh, i think that was also uh, very helpful into moving this uh, revolution forward and get help from western women western media We've seen also, so I also see that the BLM movement created a lot of activism across social media with various platforms. It created a different environment. And he actually, I think he opened up ears of people wanting to hear the other side of story of an, of, or another point of view. And I think that that's been evolution of the West and the way we are dealing with everything here. I, I think that's definitely also helped. We've seen so many moving images of strong, powerful, brave women removing their headscarves, burning them and cutting off their hair. What does that symbolise of the, you know, the cutting of the hair for you and your culture? I know in mine it's a sign of mourning. Um, I did read something about this, um, uh, Holojan. I don't know exactly what it represents. But um, it is. Uh, I did read somewhere that in uh, Iran, like the history of Iran, when you cut your hair, it is for mourning, as you have mentioned. It is the same for Iranian culture. But apart from that, uh, apart from cutting it, just cutting it, they have cut it and then sent it to the UN and embassies in, uh, across the uh, across the globe, Iranian embassy. So like they would cut the tip of their hair, which doesn't have the DNA. So, and they will put an envelope and then send it to the embassies, which also a very powerful movement to show that, to show their solidarity. I think the the burning of the scarf on the street also is, we're seeing the, the scarf as a, as a way to oppress. Whether you're Muslim or not in Iran, you have to wear it. And, and they see it as a, as a tool. I and mean, it's a rebellion against the regime and what, what the women are told to wear. And I think that's what he represents as well. Is, is the rebellion that um, they, they're burning their tool um, to suppress them. Um, and that's that's how I view it. Yeah, I do want to add that hijab and controlling women with hijab is one of the pillars of this this monstrous regime. Like they they kind of, with, without that, if, if we take, take uh, this uh, monetary job away, like remove it, so many more, much more, so, so much more can happen. Like if there's no hijab, then after that, yeah, some people would just like um, would go back in their homes and they're happy with that. But it will start a, another like a, a a step forward to other like liberties or having other freedoms. So it's very important this hijab not to be mandatory and people being able to wear what they want because it will affect so many aspects um, of a of a woman's life in Iran. What it's other ways? have women been coming out to condemn the violence against women i know i've seen boycotts and there have been men that have been boycotting in their industries but are there any other forms of protest people have been taking um well uh boycotting strikes uh are one of the biggest things uh um oil industry and gas industry but people themselves 
I know for a fact that people have been deleting apps that have been working with um, the regime, not working, but haven't said anything. They, you know, they haven't done anything. Uh, so uh, I know like the food delivery app, the Uber app that we have similar to it in Iran, people are deleting them because they also use people's location and they can, like, for example, I, I wrote, a, I saw a tweet about it that somebody ordered food through Snap or a food delivery app and yet the day after they used their, his location to come and ca capture him to take him away and i thought it was a lie but then it, after a few days people confirmed and there were fact checks and yes it's possible so people are deleting zanka <coughs> by cutting them which is really good because it really uh, affects the uh, affects the economy and also, there's been other kind of boycotts as well. We had seen uh, ice cream vans being lent to uh, to the to the police and their troops to go and beat people up. Um, so people actually started boycotting, actually buying the, the ice creams and the yogurts and the dairy products. So which again, uh, it, it's been very direct boycotts. But also, I I feel that a lot of um, smaller businesses as well, like we have a lot of. Um, uh, smaller um, woman-led businesses that sell scarves or clothing a lot of them have have sort of put on hold hold so they're not really trading so that's another method again it's very similar to strikes but um also woman-led um we we have seen uh Elnaz, which who's a climber for iran uh who what who is uh, obliged to wear a scarf um but um in uh, in the asian championships which was just last week um and we saw it as a protest when she came up for the first time ever from any of our competitors to wear uh, to not wear a scarf in the competition we all saw that as a as a protest um as we had seen other uh, male um uh high profile um athletes and um actors singers and so on actually come out in support of the movement but she specifically um, then got uh, um, got taken away. She disappeared for about 48 hours, um, and then a, what we call a false confession was relayed on on the um, on her Twitter account. Uh, it's our Instagram account, um, and um, and yeah. So there are multiple ways. I think everyone's striking in every, any way they can find, um, and I think that's the beauty of it because there is no leadership in this movement. Everyone's a leader. Everyone's finding their own way of striking and 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 we see that that we all meet in the same place uh, although we do the same uh, our version of a strike it's i did read up on this and it's kind of like what saha said with her forced confession and why i just want to understand because she's on a global stage is that the reason why she wasn't punished or suspended because i i read that she wasn't punished or suspended for her action could you kind of educate me some more on that give me some um, so the, the, the so she said that the timing the schedule was did uh, uh and at the time that she was called in to go and climb uh meant that she uh, there was an error with her, her scarf but this was after the event i mean this this is I, I wouldn't, I, there is a history of forced confession from various people that have been um, captured or have been sort of given given some sort of um, threat or, um, and also there were, um, there were stories of her brother being uh, taken hostage by the regime um, and 
um, and, and multiple other stories. And again, I just want to go back a step back here. Um, there is no free journalism in Iran. It's all controlled by the regime. It's what they want to relay. TV, radio, newspapers are all with the regime. With that view, they, they are told what to write. They are told what to say. So we can't actually get um, verified from the source generally unless we, we actually go and find it ourselves in social media. This is where social media has been so powerful within this movement because it gives us the the so, um, uh, information from the source. So, for example, Mahsa Amini's brothers on, on Instagram and, and other other people have, have been joining um, social medias to, to relay messages that they have verified themselves. I know the regime has banned platforms like Instagram, is this correct? So in order to kind of silence people. So in what other ways can people get their messages out? Because it is so important to have varied stories and to not have regime controlled media. Um, so first of all, they cut off the internet. They did this uh, in, in the 2019 protests as well. Um, but there are VPNs that are paid, that people pay to, to, to log on from a different country. Um, so the, 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 the circulation of information isn't as widely available. Um, and um, uh, I think that's, that's how people have been accessing the internet as a whole. Uh, and that in itself is, is appalling. We, we, we cannot communicate directly with our parents or families or friends or anyone in Iran so freely. And, and even the direct phone, uh, phone lines may be um, tapped. Uh, there, there are many stories on this as well. Um, they are. If I, uh, I had a conversation with my grandma over Skype, Skype made it free. So I called and uh, what, whenever I said Zahedan, Tazohorat, which means Tazohorat is protest, Zahedan is a city in south of Iran, she couldn't hear anything. So they literally filter words. No, I'm not exaggerating. So uh, it's crazy. Since Ibrahim Raisi's election, how have things changed? Um, background on Raisi is that he is the, well, um, just at, at the election where he got elected, uh, Iranians actually boycotted the, the election. Uh, so most people didn't actually vote. There, it was the lowest turnout of voters uh, ever, and about three and a half million um, of the votes weren't even counted because they were black. Uh, they were blank in protest, or something else was written in the ballots. Um, Raisi himself, he's a uh, he's favorited from the Ali Khamenei, who's the uh, the the, the uh, supreme leader of uh, of Iran. Um, and he's a hardliner. He's he's a hardliner, and he he has enforced uh, more a mortality police on the streets. Um, so I, I think he he's he's definitely made it a, a much more difficult place to to live in. Again, um, I don't know, Sahar, if there's anything else that you would add to that. No, you covered it well. I mean, <clears throat> that's it. <clears throat> everyday women seem to be disappearing and I keep seeing more and more on abductions of women there have been a number of young women that have been killed in jails in Iran in recent weeks after being arrested for their protests against the regime like Amita Abbasi, Etrin Afarin and Azra Pah Pahahi, Pahahi yeah. 
What are the conditions like in those jails? I know, Sahar, you said that you've been held by the police and how long are women usually placed there? And as I know, so many have sadly passed, like... Yeah, I would love to say it's not uh, just women. There's men out there, young boys out there as well. So, um, so many. Over 12,000 people have been have been arrested and detained and also disappeared. So we just know maybe 10% or only 5% of uh, those names. And the condition in jail, um, I can't really say because those jails are like political and, and also uh, not like for hijab or morality police. Um, however, how long uh, they stay there? Honestly, it depends how much they can be bothered to um, uh, to listen to the family. Or some of them are uh, released based on um, I don't know what what is said in in English when you give uh, bail. bail. Yeah, exactly. So I forgot the word. So uh, they can come out uh, on bail, but sometimes they can just be not listening to you or not caring enough to even release them uh, on bail. Um, so the conditions are definitely horrible, horrible from previous years when uh, women or men come out of the uh, prison and they go on TV or on podcasts or anything, they talk about it. It's really bad. The tortures that there are, um, there's so, so many ways uh, they will cover your face and they say, oh, you're going to be killed tomorrow. You're going to be executed tomorrow. So just mentally torturing them like that or asking them to cut, to write their, um, will and i've heard this from so many people that they ask you to go and write your will because tomorrow you're going to be dead so that's how they torture mentally and about the uh, women and men being captured by the police and like disappear they most of them most women they are raped and this needs to go out there and people need to know that women get raped and uh, and then at, the, at some point they, they also be will be found dead after 10 days being missing they're going missing. So, um, uh, yeah, that's that's the information I can give you uh, on how it is. And Evan Prison is, uh, which was on fire, which was uh, fire um, escalated just last week. Um, Evan Prison is a political activist prison. Essentially, you don't see, you barely see murderers and rapists and uh, pedophiles there. You basically see journalists, lawyers, students that, uh, again, from the protests, they all end up there. Every prison is one of the highest security prisons in the world. Um, and also, um, it's um, it, the Iran regime has, uh, due to previous requests of international community uh, to come and inspect the prison, they've refused it, they, they've never allowed it. And uh, the, that is to benefit them. And, and uh, there's plenty of books of uh, of accounts of people who have been in this prison uh, who have left. Uh, for example, we know Nazanin, um, uh, uh, Nazanin uh, as, as I forgot her surname, uh, the, the Iranian-British uh, lady that was uh, held in, in Iran. Um, she's spoken about it plenty of times as well. So there's lots of accounts that uh, we, we do tell people to go and do their own research, read the stories, because these are real stories um, that are coming out of this prison. So whilst we haven't been in and in there, we, we have tried to educate ourselves as well as to what's happening inside. What shocked me was the ages of the women that were coming up dead and missing. What's what's the youngest been and why are they taking... Well, I can't say why are they taking because it's like, I just think it's so wrong, but 
young teenagers, young boys, young girls, do they have like a, an age limit? I know it sounds so wrong to say, but I, I need to, to, to understand. Um, <clears throat> no, there's no age limit. They're scared of anyone uh, rebelling against them. So, uh, um, so many instances in um, northwest of Iran, west of Iran, the police force, the regime force have gone into school with bands and they have beaten up uh, children, students, and they have taken them. Um, uh, We actually did a post on that, that uh, there were five students missing. They just been captured. 16, 17, and also Asra Panay also, she was uh, 16, she, 15 or 16, she, she, she died, she passed away uh, on the way to the hospital, uh, she was beaten by baton, uh, so there's no age limit, and they are attacking schools as well, attacking and taking them and capturing the students. This is why it seems so risky, and I've seen so many brave, like, school children protesting by taking off their hijabs and things like that it's such a risk for them to be taken as well. Because the children that I saw, a group of girls doing their protest, I've got younger brothers and sisters, they looked about six, seven, eight years old. Yeah, we did hear of uh, uh, the youngest uh, person, uh, the youngest child that died was seven. She uh, she was shot. Um, But also, I mean, I have stepdaughters, uh, I have a stepdaughter who's eight, and and that gives me the same kind of feeling. Is that she doesn't have to think about politics. It's not even in her agenda. She doesn't have to go out there, um, uh, flying around uh, a scarf to say in protests or or make any kind of political statement. So it's very touching to know that they they are affected from such a young age, um, in comparison to to others elsewhere it seems like the regime has to kill in order for it to survive what can people in the west do to support regime change and what can they do to help oust many diplomats and political heads of state that are upholding and reinforcing the barbaric and brutal treatment i think um People underestimate the power of social media. Um, first thing is um, being their voice, um, retweeting, re- reposting some of the posts that come out of um, sources that are um, connected with Iran directly. Um, and writing, if you're in an age where you can write to your MPs and you've got that knowledge and, and, and background, then just writing to your MPs and, and asking for um, investigation into the, um, you know, <laughs> the, the, what's happening in Iran right now, um, to enforce sanctions, to stop them from funding these brutal attacks, um, and and we also welcome uh, we'll welcome the, our protests. Um, so our protests are in English. Uh, we uh, produce material in English, so um, so they can also be the voice of people who cannot be the voice of um for themselves Def, i would add on to that that social um truthful journalism 
uh, I would say, because I've seen New York Times, Financial Times, talking about how economical situation in Iran have uh, sort of ignited this revolution or protest, but it's nothing to do with the economy. Nobody's out there saying, oh, um, um, do, do nuclear deal because we want to, but, I don't know, we want the sanctions to be off. No, they're there saying down to dic- down to um, death to dictator. So nothing economical about that. So journalism has to be truth- truthful. Also, media come to the protest. There's so many taking place. There's one in Berlin on Saturday, biggest, huge uh, protest. There's going to be one in London on Saturday again. Uh, every Saturday, there are protests around the world. And also there are petitions uh, and uh, um, political activists, they need to... Le- listen to these petitions and read these petitions. For example, there's one going on with over 600,000 signatures expelling uh, um, Iranian diplomats. That's, that has gone uh, viral, it's huge. And um, I would say um, just uh, media, even I would say fundraising, like people funding us and helping us to, for example, all these things that we do is out of our own pocket, like flyers and all of that. There's no organization that we can go to. Hey, can you please help us? Can you give us like this sort of a budget so we can print out flyers, go to shops and billboards, like um, whatever billboards you see. And like there there was one in, I think, San Francisco or something. They had a billboard off for Maso Anini. And these are all like people chipping in, fundraising. But if we could have access to some sort of funds so we could do that all over major cities, London, New York, Rome, Paris, Berlin, Stockholm, these um, cities, it would be good to show it. Like look at Ukraine, when, what, what happened with Ukraine and how everyone knew about it. You know, flags were up everywhere. And this the same thing needs to happen to Iran. No, not even Iran, Middle East. Middle East is like an orphan child that has got no parents and nobody cares about. And that's what needs to change. And it's just because it's Middle East and no one cares about it. I hate to say it, but this is kind of why I never adopted the feminism title. I'm all for women's rights and I proudly support women's rights. But I just can't call myself a feminist because I don't feel like they back issues that are important. And I feel like women in the West don't do enough for places like the Middle East. What has the media presence been like at the protests in London? Um, last, sorry, last week I had, uh, through friends, honestly, uh, uh, a friend of mine asked me that he wants to bring Sky News and ZD. So um, they came, Sky News came, but that was the only time. Al Jazeera English came uh, like three weeks ago once, but nothing, nothing whatsoever. And that's what really annoys us. We, um, I mean, we're trying to make our voices heard. I go onto the streets and put up banners myself. And I'm, I'm, I'm the team of United Master for Master, we we literally print it out, print it out, uh, uh, and go around the city. So. Um, these needs to be covered and uh, we need to be supported uh, so we can, because we cannot keep, uh, you know, uh, doing this without, I mean, we, we can, of course, it's our country. I will do it until I honestly, I would quit my job for it. But uh, financial, actually, if, if there was something that we could get, it would, it would have been much bigger. It could have gone so much bigger and much more viral. I, I think it's uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. That, that famous saying, I, I think um, we all see that the, the women's rights get, um, or LGBT rights or certain other rights get, um, they're again slowly chipping away from it. And I think it's it's not just an Iran problem. Um, so we have all talked about the US problems or um, or, or, or in other places. And, and I think it's a, it's a worldwide problem. It's, it's, 
internationalism it should be the next thing because what they do in Iran they can copy elsewhere um, and I just want to touch base here with with one thing that's one of the questions that's come up or I, I've seen a lot written a lot of the comments written under um, Al Jazeera um, as, as, a, as a new channel is a lot of people are scared to talk about um, Iran as a whole because the fear of being given the label of uh, Islamophobic um, and it's not that at all. We have such a, a mixed uh, a community of various religions um, who are all forced to abide by one rule. Um, and also um, the people, I mean, majority of Muslims don't agree with the ISIS version of Islam or the, the Taliban version of Islam. So why are they afraid to talk about the Islamic, Repa Islamic Republic version of Islam and the oppression? I think that's the, the the question that I am asking in multiple places is we are most of our families are Muslims they choose to wear the, the hijab where it's not mandatory outside of Iran uh, or inside of Iran where it's not mandatory inside homes or whatever but it's their choice we're talking about choices um, with people and, and everyone women men children having that choice to choose to do what they want to do and I think that goes back into the internationalism is that we should be there for each other, um, especially when it comes to basic rights. How can women in the West and different women's organisations, I know we've basically spoken about it, but it's a, it's also a women's rights issue as well. Like, you know, the protests are about this female revolution. How can they support support the, the people of Iran? What can they what else can they do? Um, I would say, well, what can they do? Not what else, because what have they done, the women in the West? But um, I would say, if you have access to media or journalists that they can write about Iran, go to them, tell them to give them some resources. There are so many out there. Our website, we have we list articles that have talked about it. Go to them, ask them to post something about us, to to, to create uh, I don't know, videos. If you know content media creators, if you know agents that can, they are willing to do that, ask them to do it. That's what they can do. And also, if they have a big platform on Instagram, TikToks to Twitter, post, share, reshare. I mean, that's the whole point of how, why United for Master was built, because we want to give a, a, a platform for non-Farsi speakers to come onto the website and just click on a link and share. That's it. By one click, you can share things that are happening in Iran. So that's what they should do. If you have resources, use them. Ask, go to agencies, media, newspaper outlets, and ask them to, to talk about Iran. If you have that influence. Is there anything you want to say? Any other messages you want to get across to to my audience? Um, <laughs> um. It's okay, take your time. It's okay. Just you be be the um, be the voice of Iran, just like whatever you can, and um, do it. And also, um, one more thing, I should add that Hussein Haronabi, one of the uh, fighters for this movement, since. 2008, he's been prisoned three times, and now he's prisoned again. 
broken legs, two legs broken under torture. He's been denied getting any medical treatment and nobody knows what's happening to him and he's on hunger strike. That's all we know. And he has been trying for the past 15 years to give people the, a free internet, like as in helping them with VPNs and make the, have them to get them access to internet. So um, Hussein is in danger and um, please be Hussein's voice as well. Taler, is there anything you would like to say? You're on mute. I um, just echo what Sarah said. It's, we are living in quite traumatic times, um, especially for a lot of Iranians. We are, um, we are experience what happens at home and we, we try to do everything we can to echo and be their voice. And I think that's the main point. What's the aim of Massa, uh, United for Massa has been to really echo that um, and just know that these are people, these are just like you and me and and it, it it's it's a matter of life and and I don't I, I don't want to live in in a world that nine year olds could be married off. Um, so you can literally take your pick on um, what kind of um, issue you relate to and just have a go at it do your research and and post about it and i think that's that's where it will be helpful to to a whole community and and what i'm seeing is a lot of love back to those who actually speak uh i have personally i know lots of people have um been going around and following any any kind of um activists or creator who've shared anything to do with Iran, because those are the people I want to live in a world with, and I want to 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 to, to find out more of their views. So um, I think that's the the only thing we can do at this point. What are your social media links? Where can people find you, and where can people support Hussein and justice for Hussein? Yes. Um, so unitedformassa.com or United for Massa handle for Instagram. So four with number number four, United number four, Massa, M-A-H-S-A. So on our website, we do have like one click button and then you can send an email to UN. The template is already there. You just click on it. You go to the take action part and we have that there. Also, all the petitions are there. Also, we have Instagram posts already linked there. You can click on it and then share it on your Instagram or on your Twitter wherever you want. So everything is just there. No research needs to be done. I mean, of course, do your research if you want to know more about it on, but if you want to share about it, we have put everything that is easy to understand, comprehensive and short uh, about Iran and what's happening. And again, Hossein, Hossein Ronari um, email template to UN is at the bottom of the page in, on take action. Thank you so much. Honestly, guys, I'm so moved. Thank you so much for sharing with me. Of course, and uh, one other thing, uh, our friend who is uh, also working with, together, Be Iran's Voice, is also another Instagram handle that you can go on and uh, for for taking action on this matter. So, Be Iran's Voice. Thank you for listening to the Abby Online podcast. My podcast is available on all streaming platforms, so please don't forget to give my podcast a rating and a follow. And tune in next week where I'll be speaking to another guest. <laughs>